Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in His gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. All right. Hopefully everybody is doing well. Everybody's pretty excited to say hello. That's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. Well, again, I uh, want to uh, say good morning. I don't know. If I, did I say who I am? I don't even remember. So if, if you don't know who I am, my name is David. I have the gift of serving dads and hope as lead pastor. And just what a joy it is alongside uh, an amazing team to serve Jesus alongside of you uh, for the purposes of God. And so if this is your first time here, again, I want to welcome you. Uh, you are joining us in the middle of a series. We've been walking through the book of Revelation or the book of the Revelation uh, since early fall and making our way uh, through. And so uh, this title of our series is a fun. Uh, it's the closing scene of God's masterpiece in the book of Revelation. And so it's been just a, a tremendous time together in the Word, hearing a lot of good conversations, a lot of good questions coming. And so if you uh, want insight into kind of where we're headed, there's a series synopsis. We invite you to read that if you have not already done it. We have, also have a great resource called The Daily. One of the things we want to do is encourage time in the Scriptures. And so uh, if you go to our website, you can sign up for The Daily. And what that is is we... Uh, send out via email various passages from the book we're in. So in this case, Revelation, walking our way through. That's time for you to read the Word, process the Word, and throughout the weeks we gather in groups uh, to uh, have discussion around that as we hear God, hear from each other, and then are sent out to be a blessing to friends and neighbors. And so this morning, we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 14. And so Joey opened us up to this new uh, section beginning in Revelation 12 where we looked at the cosmic battle that is at work. And so uh, it's, it's interesting if you've read it. Um, Joey spoke about it last week. We're introduced to the ancient serpent, the dragon and the devil and his, his opposition to the purposes of God, his persecution of God's people. And then in Revelation chapter 13, we see uh, what the devil is doing, and at a very high level, he's using, um, I would say, military power. Mark of the Beast. Anyone read the book of Revelation or heard of the Mark of the Beast? All right, so, so that's the, the passages we're in. But when you read Revelation 12 through 14, I think we're asking the wrong questions. We approach Revelation 12, 13, and 14, and we ask questions like, who is the beast? Who is the Antichrist? So, and what is the mark of the beast? I believe as we read these passages, that's not the main point of emphasis. I believe when you read this passage of Scripture, the passage asks us one question. And that question is this, who will we worship? You read Revelation 12, 13, and 14, and what's taking place is this question, who will we worship? Or more simply, where does our loyalty lie. And so in chapter 14, our passage this morning, we're going to see a, an incredible picture painted of what it looks like, the promises God says to those that remain loyal to Jesus. Or in other words, in Revelation chapter 14, we're going to see specifically the promises declared over those that worship Jesus. So I want to read Revelation chapter 14, 
just the first five verses. It'll be on the screen behind. So if you, or if you have your Bibles, open up to it. If you have your phones, open to it. And if you do not have a Bible and would like one, we do have Bibles in the front of the space. Uh, make sure I give you a Revelation Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of a loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb, verse 5, and in their mouth. No lie was found, for they are blameless. Friends, this is God's precious word. Let's pray together. And so now, Lord, we look to you as the author and the perfecter of our faith. Father, we sang, we read scripture together, we confessed. May our response forever be, wow. And so, Lord, as we read the scriptures this morning, would you woo us, draw us in, that we might see in Jesus' name. Are there any people here that are loyal to a particular brand? Let me give you an example. How many of you go to only one grocery store? Is anybody here? What's your favorite grocery store? Trader Joe's. All right. So brand loyalty means even if Giant is having a sale, I'm going to Trader Joe's. All right. What's your preferred airline? I'll tell you what the preferred airline the first guy was shocked. What's your preferred airline? Brand Southwest. I figured we'd say Southwest BW. I had Spirit Airlines. <laughs> Spirit Airlines is a popular uh, plane for, 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 for some. But, 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 but we understood loyalty, right? I remember a previous church I was in, we had an elder team. And in our elder team, there was a brother who worked for Coke. And he was loyal to Coke. We made the mistake of having an elder meeting, and we presented Pepsi. This man just about walked out the room declaring blasphemy. How dare you? He was loyal to a particular brand. It's gas stations. Like, everywhere you go, join our program. We will reward you. And they're trying to incentivize you to jump ship and join their brand. And so if you happen to go to Trader Joe's, you might start getting adverts from Safeway saying, look, we're having an amazing sale. Leave that place and come join us and be loyal to our particular brand. You know what I'm talking about? I'd like to suggest to you and what will it take for us to jump ship? Who will you be loyal to? When you read Revelation chapter 14, we just read it. The question is, will you be loyal to the true lamb? for the false lamb. So reading Revelation 12 and Revelation chapter 13, after all this talk of a dragon, all this talk of a beast from the sea, a beast from the land, a a, a mark of the beast, John says these words, draw our attention away from those things to see what matters. Revelation 14, 1, John says, then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the lamb. Friends, you read Revelation 12, 13, and 14. Don't be wowed by the dragon. Be wowed by the lamb. 
And John is bringing us in, and he's contrasting between the lamb of Revelation chapter 14 and the false lamb of Revelation chapter 13. So if you've been tracking with us through the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 13, we are introduced to the second beast, and it says he has the appearance like a lamb. And so the enemy comes as a false lamb to try to woo us away, to try to make us jump ship. And there are a lot of tactics. I don't know about you, but it's been a challenging week. Has it been challenging for anyone else? Yes, I blame Joey. He opened us up with Revelation chapter 12. Start talking about the dragon. Like I got hit with an infection June. I mean, like just we got beat up. But one of the other tactics the enemy will use to woo you, to woo me away, to be disloyal to Jesus is this message that God is withholding something from you. We're often tempted by the idea that something is being withheld from us, some sense of satisfaction, some sense of appreciation. And so the enemy of our souls, basically, you want the finer things in life? Bow down and worship me. That's Revelation chapter 13. You read Revelation chapter 13, and it's a demand for allegiance. It's a demand for worship. In Revelation chapter 13, we see, and they worship the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? So people are being drawn in. They look to the dragon, the serpent, the devil himself. He's like, who is like him? Friends, that statement is only meant for one other, one other, right? You read the Hebrew scriptures. That's what it said of Jehovah God. Who is like you? And so the enemy comes on the scene. And you read in scripture, Joy mentioned it. He wants to be worshipped. And you read in Revelation chapter 13 that the response of the audience to the dragon is, wow. Friends, that's worship. It's when you look at something and you walk away saying, wow. And the pull and the draw of Revelation chapter 13 is worship the enemy. So I want to ask you this morning, what matters most in your life? If someone were to take a closer look at you, what would they see? They reviewed how you spent your time, how you spent your energy, how you spend your money. Would they conclude? Well, what would they conclude matters to you? You see, in Revelations 12 through 14, there's who do you worship? And we say it every week. Worship is not just something you choose to do on a Sunday. It's the way you live your life. Everyone does it. Everyone is a worshiper. The question is, what are we worshiping? For some, it could be God and his glory. And for that, we are grateful. But for others, it could be money. It could be sex. It could be respect, possessions, acceptance, good grades, status. And so this morning, what is or who is your God? The passage we just read, Revelation chapter 14, wants to call us to the worship of the true God and away from the worship of all others. Friends, worship the Lamb. So two simple things. I want to show you the flaw of false worship and the glory of true worship. So in the context of what we're reading in Revelation chapter 14, I'd like to suggest to you this. False worship will always leave you incomplete. You will always feel like you're lacking something. When you are disloyal to Jesus and pursue other things, you will have a sense of incompleteness. So we've been walking through the book of Revelation. So 
as you've been reading, as we've been dialoguing together, if you were to bring the Apostle John here uh, and asked him, John, what is your favorite number? What do you think John would say? Seven. Probably the number seven. Right, because you see seven, right? Give, where, what are the sevens you're seeing? Talk to me. Churches. Seven churches. Seven trumpets. Seven casinos. Oh, seven seals. Uh, so there's, there's a lot. It threw me off. <laughs> a lucky number seven. Right, triple. I, I'm tracking now. Tracking now. Tracking, tracking, tracking. And, and what have we said the number seven tends to uh, uh, symbolize in the book of Revelation and really throughout Scripture? Completeness. Perfection. All right, so think about this. John's favorite number, a lot of things he's pointing to, the number seven signifying perfection or incompleteness. You turn to Revelation chapter 13, and we're introduced to a new number. Six are intended to contrast with the divine seven seen throughout the book. And as such, 666 signifies incompleteness and imperfection. So when you turn to Revelation chapter 13, the worship of the beast, the dragon, leads to incompleteness. In other words, if you are disloyal to Jesus and pursue other things and make that your God, you will always be wanting. You will always feel incomplete. We know all too well what that feels like, right? There is a temptation that you are plagued with. And deep down on the inside, you know, I shouldn't do this. There is a conversation you're entertaining, and you know you should not be in a conversation. But we rationalize, this will make me feel better. I'll feel accepted. I'll feel loved. And we go there, and after falling miserably, we're still empty. That's the essence of the enemy. And throughout the scriptures, what Revelation is saying, the devil is trying to, he's attempting to mimic God. And in his mimicking God, he's drawing people into false worship. But he always falls short. Right, here's what we know about human beings. We are made in the image of God. We bear his image, and we are called to do two things, worship him and bear his image in the world. And from the opening chapters of Scripture, you see that being opposed. Worship God and share that with others. You see that fall um, uh, climax in Genesis chapter 11 at the fall of the Tower of Babel. So there's always been opposition to worshiping the true God. And so the nations, especially after Genesis chapter 11, are now scattered and they become beasts when they exalt their own power as God and demand total allegiance. Right? I mean, he's, he's trying to be God. So you read in Revelation chapter 13, again, this is false worship. You have the infamous mark of the beast. Where's the mark of the beast supposed to go? Talk to me. Forehead and forehead. So everybody's scared to put something in their hand, right? You don't wear watches anymore. You just, no, don't touch me. Terrified, right? But he's, he's mocking God. So again, if, again, when you read the book of Revelation, have the rest of Scripture in your hand. Is there any place in Scripture where for the first time we hear of God actually marking his people on their heads and their hands? And if you were, if only answer if you weren't here in the first gathering. So if you're in the first gathering, shh. Go back. I'll tell you when you're there. Ezekiel, go back. Go further back. Deuteronomy 6. So Deuteronomy 6, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one God, right? He talks about the, 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 the word, and then that's the Shema. And then what are they supposed to do? This word put as frontlets on their forehead and on their hand. That's what God does. God signifies to his people, you are marked by me 
When you take the Word of God and saturate your mind with it, and everything you do, your hands saturated with the Word of God. God is the first one to do it. So you get to Revelation chapter 13. The enemy is just trying to get people to worship him by saying, I can do that too. He's a mocker and he is a liar. And what the dragon does in Revelation chapter 13 is he has these beasts and he's trying to get people to worship the beast. And he says, if you don't worship the beast, you can't buy, you can't sell. So worship the beast, right? That, that's Revelation 13. But again, not the first time we see this. So again, go backwards. Is there any book in the Bible where there's a mean guy who creates a statue and says, everybody bow down and worship or you die? Nebuchadnezzar. This is what the scriptures teach us. And there are always entities pursuing us into false worship to woo us away from God. And so when we, instead of worshiping Jesus, worship something else or someone else, we are inevitably turning away from God and declaring our allegiance for another. Friends, false worship will always leave us incomplete. And so Revelation chapter 14 points us to Christ and declares that our response to Jesus and his actions should be an overwhelming wow. That we should be blown away by who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's promised to do. And so false worship leaves us incomplete. I'd like to suggest to you that true worship gives you a sense of completeness. So we just read Revelation chapter 14. I want to show you true worship and the promises spoken over those that remain faithful or loyal to Jesus. So Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, who's standing with the Lamb? We just read it. Yeah, say it with confidence. 144,000. Have we seen this number before? All right, so 144,000 that was mentioned in Revelation chapter 7. It's the same 144,000 here. Then this represents all of the redeemed. All right, because if it's only the 144,000, what's the main problem based on this passage? Who are the 144,000? Male virgins. So if you're not a male virgin, you're out of the picture. That's not what this is saying. All right, so like we said then, it's, it's representing the redeemed of the Lord through beautiful imagery of numbers, okay? 12 times 12 times 1,000. Like, just do the math, okay? So what's, what's significant about this 144,000, and what does it have to do with true worship? So both his name, the name of the Lamb, and the Father's name are written permanently, permanently inscribed on the foreheads of those sealed, Followers of Christ are dependent upon God, loyal to God, owned by God, are safe and secure in God. That's the 144,000 friends. That's you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So I would like to speak that as a promise to you, that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, know that the name of Jesus, the Father's name, they are written and permanently inscribed in you. That as followers of Jesus Christ, you are to be dependent upon God, loyal to God, owned by God. You are secure in God. You're safe and secure in Him. And so what are the promises spoken to those that remain loyal to Jesus? In this passage, we see four things. All right? So false worship leaves you incomplete. True worship brings you completeness. And here are the promises. And so if you are here waging war with temptation... 
If you are here contemplating, walking away from the faith, there are so many in our culture today that are deconstructing their faith. They're throwing in the towel. They're giving up. There are many today who life has been that difficult and that challenged, and I do not want to take that away from you. But if you're contemplating, man, this is not worth it, Revelation says, worship the Lamb and see his promises. What is the promise we see? We see they are singing a new song, right? It's what we read. Verse 3, they were singing a new song before the Lord, before the throne, and before the four living creatures, and before the elders. What this speaks to is this imagery portrays the redeemed saints praising God for victory. And throughout Scripture, there is a response to God in praise because he has granted us victory over sin and over the enemy. So if you're here and you've ever been battling with the sin and God freed you from it, your response to God ought to be, wow. And what Revelation chapter 14 says, sing a new song. Doesn't matter. The Bible says to make a joyful noise to the Lord. So if all you got is noise, sing a song to the Lord. God is that good that the response of the redeemed is to sing unto him. In the Hebrew scriptures, the new song was always an expression of praise for God's victory over the enemy. When you read this passage, the voices are so loud that they echo throughout the halls of the heavens. The chorus is so loud because it originates from the great multitude that we met in Revelation 7 that no one was able to count every nation, tribe, and tongue. They are singing a new song to the Lord. Friends, I got good news. We don't have to. You want to hear the good news? Say, I want to hear the good news. The good news is you don't have to wait till then to sing a new song. We can start singing now. If God has been absolutely gracious and good, respond to him in song. Write a song. Sing a song. In your practices of reading scripture and journaling, I want to encourage you, write songs to the Lord. Now, when you think songs, you might think it has to rhyme, right? It doesn't have to rhyme. What's the big book in the Bible that has a bunch of songs? Psalms. Have you read them? There's no rhyming in them. (laughs) And you're on the other side. Friends, join the chorus of heaven and sing a new song to the Lord. And when we gather in corporate worship, it is to give us a taste of what eternity will be like. People from every tribe, nation, tongue, singing a new song to the Lord. That's a promise given to those that remain faithful to the Lord and worship. Another promise is they are virgins. And we we need to know what this means, right? Because we're here not a virgin. You're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. What does it mean? Verse 4, it is these who have not defiled themselves with women. For they are, it is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. So a promise spoken to those that remain faithful to Jesus. Here it is. You read scripture. What is the metaphor? What is a metaphor often used to depict Christ and his church? We are his what? We are his bride. And so remaining loyal to Jesus means I'm going to keep myself away from little G gods. I'm going to keep myself away from things that want to pollute me from pursuing the lover of my soul. All right. I shared this before. It's been a while. Uh, this idea of um, followers of Jesus are bride. We are called on to remain loyal as a virgin bride is to her betrothed. 
I've shared with families from Ghana, uh, West Africa. Uh, I get to go there in three days, so uh, looking forward to it. So if you don't see me, I'm in Ghana, but I'll be back. Uh, so in Ghana, so shared this. So Sandra and I, we had, I would say almost, it, it, would, it would look like two weddings, right? This is to help us see the call, right? So on February 19th, 2000, that's when we had uh, kind of what this passage is speaking of, right? So what happens is I see uh, the woman I want to marry, and if everything works out well, I send my family to her family. And they say, basically, we got a son that saw a flower in your garden, and he wants to pluck that flower and take her home. Isn't that beautiful? I thought you were going to say, oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, flower dies. Is that what you said? <laughs> Goodness gracious. Um, and so they agree. They set a date. They set that date. For us, it was February 19th. And at that date, we come together. I bring my entourage. We bring a suitcase full of goods. This is where the dowry is given. And at that moment, we are professed to be in covenant, preparing ourselves for the wedding. I'll never forget the pastor. Hey, look, you're not married yet. We are going to have a celebration. That celebration was to come on August 26, 2000. And so there was a gap between that moment and August 26. In that gap, I had to remain loyal to her. She had to remain loyal to me. We turn to Revelation chapter 19, and guess what we'll see? The wedding. And so we are to be waiting as virgins to her betrothed. That is the call to those that remain loyal to Jesus. They follow Christ and only him because he's redeemed us. He set us free. He set us free from slavery to sin. Paul picks up the same thing when he says he wants to present the church as a pure virgin to Christ. And he warns them to avoid the serpent's deception. So this is not a new teaching. So you want to be a true worshiper of the Lamb? Sing a song. You want to be a worshiper of the Lord? Rest in Jesus is the lover of your soul. The third thing we see from true worshipers, they are redeemed as first fruits. Verse 4, these have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And so first fruit. So let's, let's just use simple logic. If there's a first fruit, what do you think is going to be next? Second fruit. After second fruit, third fruit. You guys are smart. All right, first, second, third. This is multiplication and reproducing. So if you want to remain loyal to Jesus, recognize that if he's put his new life in you, just consider yourself to be first fruit and now spend the rest of your life pouring into the others so that they may come into the great harvest that is going to be spoken of later in this chapter. There is a main covenant. you be one God, you False worship leaves us incomplete. True worship gives us a sense of completeness. And here's his promise. We sing a new song. We don't defile ourselves. We're redeemed as first fruits. And lastly, there's no deception in them. Verse 5, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Friends, because believers follow the Lamb wherever he goes, that's discipleship, they take on the Lamb's attributes. It was said of Jesus, there was no deceit, no lie in him. We see this in Isaiah 53. You see this in Revelation 13 and 14, a call to persevere and to endure. Remove to who we are. Friends, we hold fast to Christ because Christ holds fast to us. It's reading as I was studying this, this idea of false worship and true worship, false worship leading to incompleteness, true worship being, uh, leading to completeness and the promises declared. 
In fact, one theologian said this, better to worship the lamb who redeems and rewards than to worship the beast who deceives and destroys. Friends, are you, are you contemplating between two opinions? Let's go back to the book of Joshua. Choose you this day who you will serve. A definition of worship just to help us as we contemplate this. Borrowed this from John Piper. We talk about worship. He says this, worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to the knowledge by valuing God. To worship God is to treasure God. It's to enjoy God. It's to be satisfied with God above all things. And that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from our lips and demonstrable acts of love towards one another. We're going to pray in a few moments, and I just want to throw this back out to you. Are there things we need to let go of to pursue Christ and to worship him? This is something I constantly have to wrestle with. Are there competing attentions? Do I need to reorder my priorities? And I notice that I tend to be on my phone a lot. So what I've committed to is like, not that the phone is evil or, or bad. Just, Lord, I, I want to worship you. So I'm turning all my notifications off. Because I, I just don't want to be constantly fidgeting. And so I want to throw that out to you. What do you have to let go of? What do you have to lower on the priority list? What do you can say, wow, sing your song. Not fouled with redeemed fruit, first fruits, and there's no deception in them. I want to invite us to pray and just ask that question. Lord, what do I need to let go of? What do I need to put down at the bottom of the priority list? And maybe you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. What an incredible opportunity for you to declare your allegiance to Jesus today, right now. And our team is here. We'd love to pray with you and begin a journey of walking with you to discover the new life that Jesus offers. I'll be here after this gathering. Joy will be here. Our elder team is here. We just want to serve you. And so if you want to declare your allegiance to Jesus and worship him, we would love to begin that with you. And so, Lord, we heard from you, and Lord, if there's things we need to let go of, or if there's things we got to move to the bottom of the priority list, if there's distractions, if there's temptations, Lord, we give that to you this morning. Our desire is to worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. Praise in Jesus' name.
Mind Control of the Man.